I was going to start the show talking about how we could uh, make an opportunistic pivot of our show and our IP into uh, like a cryptocurrency of some sort. But it seems like everybody on the internet has made that joke before me. So uh, we snoozed and we lost. Yeah, we um, we missed uh, missed that train, as you would say. Yeah. Um, we were late. But... We were late, late to the mines, if you were. <laughs> <laughs> but that does bring up something I've been wanting to talk about a little bit, which is um, one of the people who made that joke much more effectively than I and ever would have uh, was Dave Pell. And I am super excited that uh, Next Draft is back. Because it was it was gone for I think he left uh, like mid December, so it's gone for about three weeks or so. Um, and not only is it fantastic, but it's also something that came out routinely at one p.m. So I always knew the day was half over. So that was uh, it, it was it was a it was a twofer. Some people say. Yeah, something I thought about over the break after we had done our last show of 2017 was I wish we did a better job of keeping track of our chef specials so that we could have incorporated sort of a a best of segment for that uh, for our last show. Um, but I bring that up because had we done that uh, next draft, I th- which I think was one of your chef specials mm-hmm. uh, was pr- one of my favorite picks of yours from last year. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And following Dave Pell on Twitter is a, is a treat. Yeah. He, he's, he's hilarious. He's really good. And he has just the, like, I think one of the things that's hardest to get right on Twitter is how often you post because it's really easy mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. Mi- miss in either direction and i think he nails that he he does and yeah and he, he's he's a very good uh multi-format person right he, he'll he'll continue jokes that were in the newsletter on on twitter and it's it's very good mm-hmm. and, and and he hates the dodgers and it, there's there's a lot of stuff where it's just there's there's this overlap that's really good there's a thing that I, I don't have the original... Tw- Actually, maybe I do have it in the Photos app because I screenshot things whenever I'm like, oh, that was amusing. Um, do I still have it? It was a joke where he... Um, oh, there was there was somebody who won like the, like the Mega Millions lottery or something, and it was based in California. And then his joke was that uh, he won $320 million, but VCs have given him a valuation of 3.2 or something. <laughs> it's really good. And if somebody can... can can I do, sorry, there's nobody else who's going to do this. So can I task you with finding that tweet? I I'll, I will attempt to look for it. At, at the at the very least, we've put a a link to next draft in the notes, and I'll yeah I'll, I'll attempt to find that other tweet. Yeah, but we've just as we've discussed on the show before, searching Twitter is just a godforsaken nightmare. But. Sorry, nope. I just found it. Uh, it is specifically someone in San uh, someone in San Jose bought a winning lottery ticket that could be worth six hundred thirty six million. VCs have given them a valuation of two billion. Pretty good. Okay, well, send send that my way, and we'll uh, we'll put it in the notes. Yeah. Um. So what else is and the so that whole thing is based uh, basically because uh, Kodak apparently whatever vestiges are left of like the bankrupt company, um, they've licensed their name to some random company that makes Bitcoin mining machines. And they're doing some scheme where you lease a Bitcoin mining rig and you give them half your Bitcoins and something, something. It's called Kodak coin. So anyway. Yeah, I'm starting to think this whole Bitcoin thing might have might be a little out of hand. What do you think? You saw the thing about the... Well, okay, two things. You, you, you know like the memes with the Shiba Inu dog? Yes. Okay. 
and the those are usually spelled d-o-g-e yeah right okay. Do, Do, dogecoin is that how you pronounce it i believe so i i know that's how it's supposed to be pronounced but that feels wrong Pr- pronunciation is not my strong suit i've always if, thought it was like that's not already been clear i always thought it was like dog like vogue except with dogs well okay the dog doge yeah uh, okay T- but tomato in- tomato but apparently there i like a few years after bitcoin came out everybody thought like oh, this, this is weird and kind of stupid and somebody made a um like a parody currency related to it and apparently that parody currency called uh dogecoin or in your language uh dogecoin is uh now worth like a billion dollars or some shit like that i think it, i think it's i think it's two billion actually <laughs> and then the guy was like yeah that's i have this hasn't been updated in two years and that this is this kind of weird yeah it's it's crazy yeah okay but let's let's move on to actual fun things so and, and my whole thing was that we were going to call our cryptocurrency uh gene coin which is really good or monster coin whatever's funnier but i don't know I think, well, you could do gene coin and you can put an exclamation mark between gene and coin. I think that would be neat. Yeah. Yeah. Now we'll, we'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have to see if we can license his name and likeness. Uh-huh. Right. Because we would, investors would have to get an actual gene coin, like a, a tangible one. You would, it wouldn't be like a physical currency, but if you are an investor, you kind of have to be able to get one with his face on it. And so, uh, oh, so okay, so maybe and, that's the that's the hook then, right? It, it's a cryptocurrency on the back end, but you also get the um, I don't know what the right word is for it, but you you get you get that that nice sensation of having a physical coin as well. Yeah, it's like a presidential the, challenge the satisfaction coin. of the coin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. make America great again. Um, yeah. Yeah, let's let, let's let's come back to that. You saw that gaudy pile of junk, right? The oh the Trump coin yeah I did yeah so so yeah so and and then on the back of our uh, gene coin it would it would it would say either like on the back instead of like e pluribus unum it would say like um, I don't know uh, new product categories or valid for one Apple I, TV or something I think yeah I think it, I think it would just say the Apple TV is coming <laughs> and it would just have a picture of you know. The rumored Apple TV. Yeah. Or Amazon Heart Target. Right. Mm-hmm. Either one. Yeah. All right. Um, do you want to jump right into follow-up, or do you have anything that's unrelated to anything? You want to... <laughs> Which is basically what all that was. Yeah, let's get into the follow-up. Okay. So I have some updates on... I forget if it was last week or two weeks ago, but the thing where I was trying to find a way to have all my like Lightroom photo exports available on a mobile device and i tried a bunch of other things unsuccessfully and i was getting super frustrated i found i think a winner in a really unlikely place um it's amazon prime photos huh it's that one weird thing where you're like oh that's apparent like because amazon is weird where they have all this like value-added stuff but it's kind of like it's just weirdly thrown into just like the e-commerce website. You're seriously like, okay, Amazon, like your Prime uh, Shipping Club membership gets you access to all this other stuff. But it's just kind of right next to like recommendations for paper towels and like Tide pens. So you're just kind of like, I don't, this can't be like a valid thing. But yeah, Prime Photos is actually really, really good. It's it's very similar to Google Photos. Um, 
the app to sync your stuff from OS X is very lightweight and nice. You get unlimited storage space as part of Prime. Um, the iOS app, which I had super low expectations of because of how bad the um, the Alexa app is, uh, is actually very, very good. So, um, yeah, I think that's a winner. Yeah, you know, the other surprise that I've had from Amazon recently is Amazon Music. It's It's not bad. And it's, you know, for the portion that's included in your Prime subscription, you get a surprisingly large amount of music. And it's all on demand. They have radio stations. The app is pretty good. It's, I mean, again, for something that you're not really incrementally paying more for is is pretty great. So with that, are you accessing that through the Echo or did you download... Well, you said you downloaded the iOS the, app. The but... iOS app. Yeah, I've actually never done it through the lady in a can, except when she's inadvertently thought that I've requested her to do so. Which it, <laughs> it, it kind of seems like half the time that <laughs> the lady in a can misunderstands you, it misunderstands you in such a way that prompts her to start playing music, <laughs> which is which is kind of a strange... It's like, I, I don't know. If, if I were Amazon and I were somehow programming the lady in a can if it didn't quite understand you and it was going to try to make a guess i would put music <laughs> like pretty low on the list of likely things that are being requested but yeah you, you, that, you would, that's just me you would tweak like the like if confidence is low yeah but yeah uh-huh, sc- right. scale back <laughs> stuff where it gets super yeah. chatty or oh, God. yeah here's your flash briefing um <laughs> maybe you should stop talking about michael buble and uh what is it? Third Eye Blind? Which is the which is the other band? Sh- Sh- Sugar Ray. Yes. The Third Eye Blind is pretty good, too. <laughs> I don't know who they are. I was thinking of weird stuff in the 90s. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe you just got to stop talking about them in, in <laughs> just all the time. And then I yeah. think you constantly want to listen to uh, Every Hour. Is that one of their songs? Sure. Isn't it? <laughs> Sugar Ray? You might be thinking of Every Morning. Uh, sounds plausible every morning you you, you probably are i think yep there we yeah. go okay. yeah close enough <laughs> you can do a find and replace for morning an hour it's the same yeah, song yeah we'll 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 make a we'll make an edit and post there mm-hmm. oh. maybe that's what spotify should do to to get rid of that uh lawsuit about not paying songwriters <laughs> maybe um okay good so prime prime photos the separate completely separate libraries now, how does this look in terms of uploading photos? Does this, does this happen automatically? Well, so yeah, so that's the thing. So my whole thing was I just wanted to be able to like maybe just buy because I'm not really editing past photos anymore. So I just went and did like a 20 megapixel JPEG export of like just by year, a bunch of old photos. Those go into a folder on the SSD that's attached to my Mac. And then, yeah, Amazon just has a it has a combination OS 10 menu bar application for Amazon Drive, whatever that is, and Amazon Photos. And you just tell it a folder that you want it to watch and it synchronizes the the changes up there and they all appear on the iOS app and it's it's uh, very, very nice. And is this unlimited storage? Uh, yes. Hmm. Apparently Prime only gives you five gigabytes of space for Amazon Drive, which again, not sure what that is because it's not Dropbox, so I don't get that. Um, but yeah, Amazon Prime Photos, apparently it's unlimited. <laughs> there is a stipulation in the terms of service when you download it that says, if you're a professional photographer, you can't use this. Mm-hmm. So luckily I'm not. 
So, <laughs> uh, but that's weird because it doesn't support raw files. So I don't understand why the hell they would care. Because if you're a bad photographer, would you take more photos than a good photographer? Like, I mean, you'd have like way more not good photos than than keepers. I don't know. So it so it detects the file type, and it and it has to be a JPEG. No, so well, I, I think it only supports JPEGs. I don't think it supports raw. But uh, let's see, Amazon. I gotta find a way to turn off this thing in Chrome, where if you type Amazon first, it starts doing an Amazon search. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God damn it. And there's supposed to be some key that you can use to escape it, but it is not the escape key, so that's, that's out. Um, well, man, that's a good thing, because your computer doesn't even have an escape key anymore, right? Don't, don't get me sick, <laughs> God damn it. It has, a caps lock, it, has, it has a caps lock key that is an escape key, except on my iMac, which I probably need to update now because uh, of the hardware processing vulnerability. I probably will eventually have to upgrade off of El Capitan. Mm -hmm. uh but yeah for amazon a note prime photos is for your personal non-commercial use only you may not use it in connection with a professional photography business or commercial service which is fair for something that's part of my shipping club benefits so quick sidebar here with a comment Mm -hmm. that you just made which one apple doesn't they don't push critical security fixes back to older versions of mac os i don't know so they do i know they keep safari and webkit security support going for at least three revisions back so there was a specter um webkit security update that was pushed i don't know about the meltdown one that affects the speculative um execution bug i think we're jumping ahead of ourselves but um i don't know about the second one webkit they definitely it was a good it's a good preview for when we get to that part of the conversation, me only understanding about every third word that you're saying. That's the spirit. It's like when you talk about slap shots and power plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw, I got, we won't talk about it, but I was looking at it. We won't explain why this is sad, but um, Derby the Bat Dog. Um, on one of those pages, it also linked to that thing of the uh, the guide dog from the Sharks game again. Mm-hmm. And I watched that a bunch more times and he's pretty great. Yeah, the do you know the lady friend was at that game? Hey, cool. I know. I know. And we we like texted each other at literally the exact same moment cuz I was watching it on TV and we were both just like freaking out about this dog. Lots of lots of crying emojis. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Which one? Um the joy emoji or the sob emoji? The 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 joy emoji. Okay. Yeah. All right. Glad you know the difference. Mhm. Um I'm glad it got its due because normally I I assume not having ever been to a hockey game, I would assume that the crowd is fairly rowdy. Not like it like jumping in the stands or something, but I'm glad that the guide dog got a quiet introduction. the The folks in San Jose are are pretty good. That's the only that's the only arena I've ever been to for. Or not, actually, no, that's not true. I, I've been to Staples Center once for a Kings Ducks game, but that was a long, long time ago. But in in more recent memory. I've only ever been to uh, SAP Center, and it, 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 it never gets too too rowdy there. It's a good, good group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to a game in Las Vegas in March, though, so we'll, uh, we'll what is, see. What is their team going to be called? Well, they're, they're, this is their first season. They are the Las Vegas Golden Knights. That's a terrible name. It's a really bad name, yeah. Uh, 
golden. That's 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 really bad. The consensus is that they will eventually probably do what the Anaheim Ducks did, where the they used to be the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, which was also a bad name, but then they eventually just became the Ducks. And many people think that eventually they'll become just the Knights, which is the Las, the Las Vegas Knights is not a bad name. Yeah, but isn't that kind of like a Radio Shack becoming the Shack thing? You're taking one thing that's not great and turning it into something that's still not. Well, but it's 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 better. I, one one can make a case that the Shack is worse than Radio Shack. Yeah. I was gonna say, what do what do Knights have to do with Las Vegas? But what what does the Giants have to do with San Francisco? So. What do sharks have to do with San Jose? We're near the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, they like attacking Hewlett Packard computers. Um, oh, man. It's, it's still so sad that that arena is not called the HP Pavilion. That's mm-hmm. just, uh, I, think, I think I've lamented about this before. No, we've talked about but... it on literally eight different episodes for at least <laughs> 10 minutes each. So we're, but we're... it's, uh, it's just such a, such a missed opportunity. Related. What? Why does HP still use the Compaq brand? Do they really? I guess I've I haven't. I feel like we've. I feel like last time we talked about this, it, this went down the exact same rabbit hole. <laughs> didn't we end up? Actually, I'm remembering now. Didn't we end up going to HP's website? Oh, but and, then, and breaking that was down. <laughs> no, that was. Oh shit! I didn't have to do that because I remember there was one weird category where I was like, "What the fuck is that?" Well, so actually, this is a good. This is a good case study. So if I go to HP.com now, where what where does that take me? Oh, so okay. it takes it, it me. It knows I'm in the U.S. So it takes me to their. Well, I guess it just because the, I forget how they have how they've split themselves now. This is actually well, no, because remember, um, like two years ago they split off. Then there's HP, and then there was HP Enterprise. So they've actually split off most of the cloud computing and server stuff. This is actually pretty clean. I remember last time, it had, when we did this experiment a year ago, uh, there was this weird like Christian Slater like promotional video thing and uh oh that was the thing when you go to when you hover over desktops uh whatever the hell immersive means <laughs> as opposed to a three and one as yeah, opposed no, this, to i think this is this is mostly the same i mean the the big banner in the background is different but i think the the categorization of products is the same i was very optimistic because it was one flagship product printers and then laptops, I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I think of HP. Yeah, um, the, the the categories of desktops are business, immersive, gaming, towers, workstations, all-in-ones, three-in-one, and then you have offers. But again, I find I, I enjoy doing Excel on an immersive workstation. So am I not doing business? I'm, I, what is a three-in-one? We, we did, well, I guarantee we did this last time. And it's one of those funky uh, Windows phone things that you can oh dock. Oh, my God, in. we did. We did, dude. We, <laughs> God, we did this exact same thing. Uh, you're, you're not cutting it out because I do appreciate that. Uh, this is, yeah. We, sorry, this, is our, this is our, like, annual HP check. What, what is HP up to? But the thing is, Windows, why does this still exist? Because even Microsoft said they're done with Windows phone. I like how they really lean into the, um, to use your favorite term, mm. that with this HP Elite X3, they, they call it a phablet. They just totally own that, which I appreciate. Where does it say that? It says it in the, um, like my, the browser tab of Chrome here. H- oh. HP Elite X3 phablet 3-in-1 laptop. Yeah, we got to move on. Oh, hold on. Under business solutions, they have a VR section. That's probably right up your alley. <laughs> this is really not entertaining to listen to. I We're going to move on. 
I do. I do all my business in VR now. Excel in VR is incredible. Wasn't that the obvious joke everybody made when Microsoft came out with the HoloLens thing? Fuck yeah, pivot tables in VR. Um, okay. um, quick, quick sidebar. I don't think I. <laughs> We're already three my, sidebars down. My, my, so my, go ahead. I think this is, this is my only my second sidebar of the show. Um, not worthy of a pick of the week or anything, and not really like a longer topic. But I, I did want to bring this up last week, and I, I forgot to. Um, over the break, I had a chance to use the HTC Vive, which is the other kind of big consumer VR headset that's out there other than the Oculus. It's it's quite a bit better than the Oculus. Like the screens are largely the same. Um, they're They're a little lower resolution than you would want, although... I don't know if we'll get to this or not, but they they did announce this week that well, they're coming yeah, out with a. You were a, hating on CES, and apparently they made one that's way better for being high res. Yeah, it's it's like twice twice the resolution of the the current headset, and there's going to be a wireless adapter, which is neat, so you don't have all the big cables coming out the back. Um, but anyway, I I got to use that over the break, and yeah, it's it's really good. It's a lot more comfortable. I don't know if my memory of the Oculus is just a bit bad now, but it seemed like the viewing angle was maybe a little wider i, I don't know like if it could have just been the way that the headset fit on my head made it seem that way but i it had been you know six months or so before i had since i had given vr a, another shot and i was i was pretty impressed it's still early but i, I think it's it's coming along yeah i mean even though that seems like a product i i will never want that does seem like one of those things that you just let everybody else be the the early adopters for because that is going to be like it's it's probably going to be way better, even if it the like the concept is still not going to take off or just isn't what people think it's going to be. At least wait for it to flush itself out, and then get yourself one of these sick backpacks. <laughs> well, I think I'm now much more in the camp of thinking that augmented reality is probably where we're going. I mm-hmm. think there will be there will be certain applications for VR most of which I, I think will end up involving gaming just because that is a situation that you want to be fully immersed. But I think with most applications being completely immersed in a screen like that actually isn't what you want. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think you still want to be aware of your surroundings. You just want your computer to be kind of blended into those surroundings. Well, isn't that the thing where everybody, even though everybody made fun of Google Glass... Like the whole thing is that if Google Glass was actually good, isn't that the thing? Yes. Like it's it's just going to take ten years right. for the computing pad. Like every like it. Yeah. Poor poor Google. Actually, not poor Google, but kind of poor Google. <laughs> because they they were really silly. Like remember when they bought like two barges off like the San Francisco Bay, and they were going to have like this whole thing where like you could go swim out to try Google. Like it was they. That whole product was so weird, but again, like they're they were way ahead of the market because that is whenever Apple or Samsung or like anybody is going to like make something that's actually good, it's actually going to look really similar to that, and it's probably going to work pretty similar in a lot of ways. I don't think Google will ever be the company that brings that to us, but so it goes. All right, yeah, HP Compaq. I don't know why they use that brand. Oh, yeah, that's what. <laughs> That's what got us going. That derailed was entirely your fault. Yeah, but I'll, I'll, t- um, I'll take responsibility there. But yeah, they they still use it. Remember that that was the merger back in like 2002 or something. Back when e machines was a very formidable 
opponent because they had computers that would never be obsolete. And then H, they're still using the name. It doesn't have like brand loyalty, so who cares? Or eh. okay, I'll, uh, anyway. I'll I'll put our I'll put our uh, OmniFocus uh, task here for for a year from now to <laughs> check check back in to see what HP's up to. Yeah, everything's everything that's old is new again. Mm-hmm. I do. Th- I think it's really optimistic. You think we're gonna make it another year? Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to have a more positive outlook this year. Oh, you must have missed that tweet storm. Yeah. Okay. So stable, stable genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that was gonna be my other intro in case I, we scrapped the other one. Yeah. Who, who, <laughs> if anybody like it, and again, did you listen to Five Thirty Eight this week? I did. Yeah. With your, Claire's uh, Claire's thing. Was was very good when she was describing, like just like it, it, it like saying like I, I'm just gonna say categorically Nate's an idiot or something, and then like his the your retort is not stable genius, or like that that's just not how you combat that right. type of yeah. I thought you were gonna get right into the the game theory discussion at the end of that episode, which I know you love so much. Oh yeah, I forgot I forgot I, which I professor of, was. I thought of you. I I was not in a position to be able to message you at the time that i was listening to it otherwise i i would have probably just sent you a message that just literally said game theory with maybe an exclamation mark mm-hmm. pretty good it was your, your your favorite your favorite topic in college no, it was just that one actually no was, actually was it was it game theory or was it prisoner's dilemma which one did both. you get really yeah you got really sick of both of them right well it was it was because that was his one it, it, that was his one thing that he always talked about yeah yeah whatever i think it was some international relations class it was yeah okay Moving on, man. We're, we're in the weeds. Okay, let's <laughs> let's just blaze through this follow up. Uh, Democrats are going to force a vote on net neutrality. Um, our boy Ed Markey introduced Bill, and uh, Claire McCaskill was the thirtieth co sponsor, which apparently forces a vote. Um, yeah, so that was that was, I guess, what we missed originally. Is there is a a provision in the Senate where with any sort of I don't think it's specific to the FCC, but if there's any sort of regulatory action that's taken, if you get if you introduce a bill and you get 30 sponsors, you then force that to at least a vote. Because that was what I was not clear on initially was how they were going to even force a vote on this. I thought that was just sort of political posturing, but. It turns out there there's a mechanism to do that because that's McConnell's whole thing is that he he controls the paper. So I always thought that like yeah you could you could force it off the calendar. Yeah, exactly. So what is so even though this probably won't succeed, uh, like people seem to think that the whole point is they want Republicans on the record of being on uh, in support of this, right? Oh, I mean that that's totally. I mean when you made the comment about controlling the paper, I mean that that's why that is such a powerful thing is because. Well, I mean, not only do you get to control the agenda, which is sort of the obvious thing, but secondarily, you also get to allow your members to not take positions on things that they might otherwise want to keep their views private on. But so the somebody in response to this on the Internet, I forget where it was from, like made the point of like, I don't and I kind of agree with it because Republicans like they're not afraid of taking unpopular opinions, like because like in, in this congressional period, like they've already voted on tax cuts for the rich and that homosexuals aren't people and that impoverished children don't deserve health care. So like, I don't, I don't, I don't see how one more, um, unpopular or like uh, d- decisions going to affect 
the likelihood of re-election of any of that kind of crap because they've they've already been on the record of tons of awful things. Well, I mean, I don't want to burst your bubble or anything, but the Republicans might not be very good at governing. Just, just a, just a thought. But if they're very good at getting reelected and harnessing the electoral power of people, like maybe they don't like government. Yeah, that, that being, could be. Being could bad, be. And being bad at governing is the plan. You're 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 taking the the six dimensional chess view. No, I wait. What? Oh, is that the thing where everybody is like? Is that the is that the Every, thing everybody's, where everybody... everybody's playing checkers while you're playing chess? Well, no, but wasn't that the thing where everybody was like, "Oh, maybe Trump's like secretly a political genius, and he's been actually just uh, like, and he's playing six dimensional chess, yeah. except mm-hmm. he doesn't understand how to not eat the checkers." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I didn't. Make, I don't think I made that up. Um, no, that, that's that's too creative. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did change the part where I said eat checkers instead of not know how to play checkers. Oh, man. God damn you. Uh, um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, much like, and actually, well, we'll, we'll lump two of these together. Much like the removing Trump from Twitter for being a terms of service violator, which I actually think was a debate that I was sympathetic to that cause for, it actually is like the thing where, like, I'm not sure this really changes much and like it, it, forcing somebody to be on the record about not of having like a bad policy opinion. I think that makes certain people feel better, but I don't think that actually changes anything. Cause what, what are you going to, cause do you think the voting public is actually going to be like, well, this Republican Senator who promises we're going to revive the coal industry or what, like whatever is, it doesn't like, protecting our internet freedom or something so therefore like electric like how does that change the dynamics there's yeah there's there's two things there's yeah i i agree i just i think there's probably a a general lack of understanding or awareness around net neutrality which i think is pretty understandable but also i mean it like you know if you're someone who's supporting your republican representative and you've seen them attempt to take away health care for millions of people lower taxes on the wealthy and you've been in fully support of that are you all of a sudden now going to stop supporting them because they support net neutrality is that is that really your line in the sand i i i I doubt there's a whole lot of people who would follow that i draw my line at the fast lanes on the internet yeah yeah i just i i don't i don't imagine that being the um the line for most folks yeah funding child's health care no internet Okay, so that's that. So, and then, yeah, the world, so Twitter did come out this week, because I think, like, I guess the debate around, like, uh, is is tw- uh, Trump a serial violator of the terms of service, and uh, we should boot him off, and that kind of stuff. Um, they finally went on the record and said, quote, uh, they will, uh, world leaders are exempt from these uh, criteria because uh, uh, deleting them would hide important information people should be able to see and debate. It would also not silence the leader, but it would certainly hamper necessary discussion around their words and actions. Which I think is actually probably true, but I think the bigger problem is just like that Twitter never seems in control of what's actually happening on their platform, and every like policy thing they ever end up having is reactive in nature and whenever they actually do have a policy it's super inconsistently applied you've you hit it right on the head with it being sort of late in the process being being reactive 
like where where was this 12 months ago i just it's yeah you're you're totally right in that they they sort of seem to be chasing their own platform instead of trying to put their arms around it i just like that that uh, mental image <laughs> Just hugging a big old server farm. <laughs> right. This is the one we keep all the hate speech on. Uh. This, this, is the, this is the one with the white nationalists. And oh, this, and the, yeah. Okay. So let's. We're done with follow up. I think. Yeah, I think. I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! If only all the hatred on the internet could fit on one server. I think. Uh. I think there's probably an actual entire data center on AWS for that. Okay, so let's talk about CES, which I I don't care about. But you you but stuff still happens there, and I think not caring about CES is a new cool kid thing. It's like the it's like the vampire weekend of technology. Well, I think to be fair to CES, it's it's not just CES that I've sort of fallen off interest in. It's sort of just these big shows in general. I mean, I would put E3 into this category. There's Mobile World Congress. There's the Tokyo Game Show. There's all these events, which I used to follow pretty closely, but it just feels like now when a company has something that they want to introduce or they want to say, they they just do it because it's it's easy to get your word out there in a way that you know wasn't true 10, 15 years ago. So the 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 relevance of these events, not just CES, but these big trade shows in general, I think is super up for debate. Maybe, but I think that's skewed by the fact that maybe since you and I are less like things have matured since the days of like the early days of Engadget and that kind of stuff where like it seems like anybody could make like, and I know we have like, this, this is the age of Kickstarter and all that kind of stuff, but I guess maybe there were more companies that were making products that were interesting and influential where this type of thing was maybe more relevant. And now since the most meaningful products are being made by a far fewer number of companies that have the marketing budget and just the, the attention share of the press and of like the consumer public where they can release stuff on their own and don't need attention. Like, I, I think that's probably changed and I'm not sure that's really a knock against, um, trade shows and, and events like this. I don't know. I, I, I just think it's, yeah, just things are maturing a little bit where it's, it's maybe less important. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're right. Um, and the, the other thing I would say sort of to give CES a little bit more credit this year is it does seem like a lot of the news that I've seen has actually been products and services that are it's like hey this is coming out you know this quarter or like middle of this year it's stuff that's actually coming soon and actually exists like another issue i've had with ces in the past is it's it's sort of just all this pie in the sky stuff which it which is fine on one hand but sometimes it's sort of masked in a way that's like oh no this is totally a real thing coming out in like 2023 which like that's not super interesting well but are are the real players actually doing vaporware announcements anymore i mean i think there's there's still some of that right like that 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 rollable oled tv we saw like that's not a that's not a thing is it no that they had real ones well I, i'm i'm sure they have real ones but i mean is, is this something that 
like you can literally start buying at some point soon? Eh, probably not, but <laughs> but but it's more of a proof of concept in terms of the technology because then you can then think about like bendable and foldable phones and um can we make uh oh like cuz you can already see like the OLED TVs we have like excluding the part that has all the electronics in it like it's insanely thin like so that's that's more of like a technology proof of concept thing of kind of here's what we're doing with displays and all that stuff is going to trickle into phones and other things so i think like cuz i think that's different than vaporware I think there's two types of um, like uh, like spectacles and like attractions that they have for these types of things. I think it's kind of like you know how um, auto shows and things like that they'll have concept cars, but that's never going to be on the street. It's it's the the technology that gets uh, created and nurtured in those types of projects ends up making it into the mass market stuff. But still, to kind of show here's the best that our brand can do, and here's kind of the wacky shit we have. Like take a look at this. Yeah, but that's a that's a nuanced point. I agree. Um, well, this, <laughs> the, of all this news that's come out of CES, I think the one that I'm I'm probably most excited about involves light bulbs, <laughs> which I made a comment in the thing today that nothing makes me feel nerdier than getting excited about light bulbs. But uh, Philips announced that they're they're doing a big rev on their um, mobile app they're bringing hue support to the mac they they have this kind of potentially kind of interesting integration with um i, I haven't really f read through all the details but it, it's basically allowing you to have your lights synced up with movies and games that you're watching and i i guess the the ambient light in your in the room is going to match whatever's happening on your screen well, so that is a, I don't know if you remember Philips Ambulite TVs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And th that's been like a third party, like hobbyist hack for a while, but it's kind of neat that that's becoming first party sort of. Yeah, I didn't, the, the, again, the part I didn't quite understand is how this is being implemented because I saw um, it's something about it just being like a Windows and Mac thing, but then like I wasn't sure what that meant for if you were just watching like a Blu-ray on your TV. Like, was there going to be a way to have it hook into that too? Um, but anyway, um, I I'm I'm looking forward to that, and I'm bringing it up as an excuse to um, ask you a little bit more about your lights because you you have the Philips lights that they're like the color lights, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I've been, I've been kicking around the idea of probably not doing the whole house in those. Well, def definitely not doing the whole house in those, but perhaps getting those lights for like the living room where we we tend to spend the most time. And like the thing that always makes me think about that, I think I think the same thing happened last year too around this time of year, which is when you know we have the Christmas lights up. They they have such a nice sort of ambient light a much better light than just our our regular lights and if it always makes me think that if there was a way to have color lights that can sort of you know emulate something like that it would be really nice to have so kind of i actually so i'm every light that i have in my apartment is the uh third gen like rich color bulbs and like I, th I don't actually think the like bright colors and that kind of stuff are um, the interesting part. I think it's that when you have the color bulbs everywhere, actually, especially in the bedroom, you get to have um, 
Like I like using the nightlight feature, which uses like it's as dim as it possibly could be, but it's kind of an orangish hue, which is actually looks really easy. Like if you have to like wake up or something like, or you're trying to fall asleep, it's not, it's, it's a shade of white or like a, of a color that's not jarring at all. So that's the kind of stuff that you don't actually get the different color temperatures with. If you just go for like whatever the hue lux or whatever the um, white only dimmable bulbs are. Cause I mean like the, the novelty of actually being able to just make whatever color you want with other lights actually isn't that interesting i really think it, it's the shades of white and kind of the the color temperature that you get to mess with that's the the most useful and interesting well i guess that that's that's kind of what i'm saying i guess like i yeah i don't want my room to be purple or something but i just think it would be nice to have different shades of white or something similar to that mm-hmm. yeah you should try it out like, yeah, but they're 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 really expensive, aren't they? I'm gonna look this up as we're as we're doing this here. I mean, for me, I think part of it is that I was forced to just because, like the, um, I think they're called down lights, like the ones that are for recessed uh, fixtures that are not just like the standard, like what you you think of when you think of a, a light bulb. Those were only available in the color ones, so that kind of set off the the chain reaction where all of them had to be just for con- for continuity sake. But yeah, I don't know, man. That that, that uh, nightlight scene is is the is just I uh, it's the best. Wait, hold on here. Is this it? These bulbs aren't fifty dollars each, are they? That's not mm-hmm. right. They mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think the downlights were like. Uh, let's see, hue color bulbs. But you gotta buy them in the multi packs. I I remember this from before. Trying to find these lights on Amazon is a total nightmare. But yeah, I think I think these color bulbs are. If you buy just one, it's like fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I now I remember why I haven't done this yet. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a lot. How many lights do you have in your bedroom? Uh, well, not counting the bedside lights. There's 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 a ceiling light that has two bulbs. So then you get three. Or wait, oh, do you have, or do you have matching bedside tables? We have yeah, yeah matching bedside tables. Okay, that uh, your sanity. Is is worth it? Go do it. Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> Have you ever been to a beta store? No. What is that? It's spelled, and you can Google this, B, the letter B, 8-T-A. There's one of these in Hayes Valley, and there's also one in Marin, where it's a thing, and this is va- I, I promise this is vaguely related to what, what, what you were talking about. It's a store for just like smart home and just like weird stuff that normally wouldn't have an interactive display somewhere else. So like they have like uh Eros on sale. They have whatever uh, LIFX, which apparently is like a knockoff hue thing. Um, and like a bunch of like the crap that you see on Kickstarter. Um, and they have like a Sonos play one there. Like it, it's just a place where you can see interactive displays of things that generally probably wouldn't get the retail space they deserve at like a Best Buy or somewhere else. And it's kind of a weird, interesting concept. But I brought this, I bring this up just because they had, um, uh, there was this light switch thing called, uh, noon. Uh, and you can see it at noonhome.com. And it was actually really cool. That allows you to just change your light switches into this thing that has this OLED display built into it. What? So I I am aware 
of of these not not that specific model there's a couple different companies that make similar items and i was really really excited to install one of them here in the apartment we we must have talked about this on the show maybe not no um i'm trying to remember which one i bought that that part's not really relevant but they all of these devices require newer electrical wiring they require you to have a third ground wire which older buildings like the one that i'm in don't have so none of my none of my outlets would uh, support something like this unfortunately but this is a super super neat idea but like it's seeing it in store and seeing how good the oled thing looked where it just looked like a, just a really neat black light switch was really really cool yeah. Um. Most of the stuff in the store is absolutely absolutely weird, and it should not be in a retail store, and, and belongs to be banished onto the internet. But it it was uh, kind of neat. This reminds me a lot of the what were those stores stores called like Brookstone or something? Well, no, because like there's Brookstone and the Sharper Image and like that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. But those were always like most of that crap was. Uh, do you remember the Ionic Breeze? <laughs> yes. You know the one that looks like Millennium Tower in San Francisco, the one that's sinking? Right. Uh, it looks like a gigantic air purifier on the skyline. Um, that was a Sharper Image product. But their thing was mainly they would just sell like weird overpriced crap that they make. Whereas this is like, they, it's like entirely pay for placement and they're totally upfront about that. That you just kind of like rent like a table inside the store and like they just have people who are trained on whatever you're selling and they can, you can buy it straight from like the iPad that's right next to the, the product that you're looking at. So anyway, yeah, go go all in on on you lights. Oh, my whole point when when I when we brought this up a little while ago is that you should at, okay, fine, if you're not ready to buy the bulbs, at least go buy some of those Hue light strips and then let me know how they are so that I can get some. And so these are these are the ones that you would put behind Anywhere. your TV. You can put them behind the TV, you can put them like underneath like kitchen cabinets to add like accent lighting, you can put them like uh along like baseboards to kind of like have like a little like uh, illuminated thing in the hallway at the nighttime like there's tons of applications you can do yeah these are a little more reasonably priced so it looks like there's what do you, what do you get here for 30 bucks you get oh that's just the extension oh come on man it's, you know it's not 30 dollars i think the um, real one's 90 bucks yeah 80 so 81 bucks for the philips hue light strip plus um. All right. Yeah. God. Oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Light Strip Plus. That's what it's called. Some sometimes these Amazon the product page is kind of hard to tell what the actual name is because they kind of just like merge the description into the like the mm. product name. Um, works with Alexa. So you... <laughs> it probably does. <laughs> yeah. Say that. No. It it, it totally does. Go compatible with Amazon Alexa, Apple HomeKit, and Google Assistant. Confirming my point from last week. Yep. Um. So you get 80 inches, and God, you this is oh, you just you literally can cut them to size, which is I just can't imagine spending ninety dollars on this thing and then cutting in the wrong place. Measure measure twice, cut once. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be so sad, and it's that's totally something I would do. Uh, you invite somebody over who only knows the metric system, and they would be like, no, centimeters. (laughs) Um, right. Yeah, good time. So yeah, so go go buy that, please. Um, I'm not really sure what I would use it for, though. Because mm-hmm. I, 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 I find I, a thing. 
Like I, I definitely get more the appeal of it being backlighting in like maybe a shelving unit or something. Like the whole, um, what do you call it? Where the 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 lights in the background of the TV? It's the what am I what am I thinking of? There's like a term for it. You mean the one that adapts to what you're watching? Yeah. Well, yeah, the ambulate thing. Philips invented it. Yeah, I thought there was. I thought there was like some term for it. And then anyway, I'm not probably people probably call it accent lighting, but that's something different. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But that's I like. I'm not really. I've never really quite gotten the appeal of that. I hmm. so I kind of do because I actually kind of do this with my my ceiling lights, where when I'm watching TV, I do have like there's a a light uh right in front of the TV that you can kind of put at a super low level that kind of makes it movie theater ish sort of. Where like it just overall makes it more pleasing than just staring at like a sea of black and then like the super bright OLED thing. Hmm. Okay. So I think tailoring scenes kind of makes sense. Hmm. Anyway, okay, so that's that was that was the one interesting thing that came out of CES. Um, there were a few others that we'll go through quickly. Um, so my echo is across the room and i forgot to mute it so i'm going to say the word very quietly so uh many people are adding alexa integration <laughs> to um their products and services so i know toyota lexus and a few others are integrating that which is actually one of the places i think where it would be most worthwhile because again like i think i've talked about this in the past but because the echo and its back-end services that starts with a is the most reliable in the car even though it uses CarPlay and responds to the Hey Siri command. Um, I always want to say Alexa. So that, that that is actually kind of a really cool thing. And if the car has a built-in 4G connection and can access Amazon's cloud services, like that seems super interesting and neat. And I find that's a kind of, I think the more and more that happens and just like the more places that, um, Amazon services encroach into different devices and spaces where that just becomes the de facto standard. That's probably kind of bad for Apple. Like I'm not even talking about just like the HomePod, but I think like even if your life is very Apple centric, I think if you go in your car or you have like your Bose headphones and all the stuff that has integration for Amazon stuff, I think that undermines a lot of the vendor lock-in that um, Apple iOS and Siri would have. Yeah, I I agree, and I I do also agree with Alexa. Oops, sorry, people. <laughs> um, Lady in a can being a really good addition to cars, especially as someone who has. I mean, I guess your your car has some type of voice system too, doesn't it? It is the absolute worst. I I don't know if it's worse than mine. Um, it is very bad. Yeah, mine mine is too. So the idea of having something that's on par with the the Echo here in the home, like that that makes a ton of sense cuz the car is is arguably the place where this whole voice thing makes the most sense and and where you really do get the most utility out of it. And it's it's kind of ironic that voice controlled systems in your car are, are probably like the worst. I mean, it's especially compared to like how good something like the lady in a can through the echoes gotten. Well, it, it makes sense. Like it's not, it does, it's not right that it makes sense, but it's just because like just the number of cars sold that are going to have that type of like higher end technology, like just the number of potential users, like when Apple is selling 40 or 50 million iPhones a quarter and has an installed base of a billion units, whereas 
uh, Ford is selling like however many cars that Ford is selling globally that have sync in them is probably just so much lower where like that investment, like you just can't spend the same amount that you were going to spend perfecting a digital assistant that runs on hundreds of millions of products. That's going to be in 500,000 cars. Yeah. Like I, I get why it stinks. Um, which is why I think Android auto and CarPlay are actually fairly, like, I don't think there's much harm in the automakers seeding control of that type of thing. Cause I, I just don't think that infotainment systems are like a big driver. Like I was not going to choose to like, like, no, I don't have, I didn't have any like big affinity for BMW's connected driver, what the hell it was called. And that was going to like sway my decision on something. It's just like that, like to leave that to the people who make interfaces and focus on the stuff that you're actually good at. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And then, so yeah, like going based off that. Yeah. There was a whole bunch of stuff. Like I think uh, Bose, who else did it? Like there's a whole bunch of people that are integrating um, the Alexa services and Google home stuff into their products. So I know Bose did it. Who else? Yeah, well, I, I just I pulled up this Engadget link, which we'll put in the notes. Um, it's so it's uh, let's see, Bose, Jabra, iHome, Bayer Dynamic. I don't know what that is. Um, it's it's all part of um, this Lady in a Can voice service or AVS that is being managed through the Lady in a Can app on iOS. And it's allowing all these third-party hardware makers to to hook into that and um, take advantage of the lady in a can's um, skills. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's super super interesting. Yeah. Uh, other C- uh, CES stuff. Uh, QI apparently is now going to be the winner of like the charging format wars. I think, I don't know who makes Power Mat, but apparently that was a thing for a while, which was kind of like the VHS versus Betamax thing. And QI is now the the winner, so that's one less thing that people have to worry about. Kind of hope that Air Power or Apple's thing doesn't really splinter anything, or they don't start doing some weird proprietary stuff after all. I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I, I think what is making the Power Mat unique isn't the type of charging, but just the ability to charge multiple devices in a single unit didn't they say there was one other benefit not just the three charging things but there was well, i think one... there's also there, there it, it it's in the pictures that we've seen it also seems like there's in a like some kind of awareness between the devices where you can see how much each yeah. is charged so but that actually might be like a bluetooth near field communication thing right yeah I, yeah. yeah so I, I don't i don't think apple is splintering chi or your qi as you would say yeah it's one of the things where i know i'm pronouncing it wrong but i i, I don't like the other thing yeah it's like it's, it's like osx nope <laughs> not calling it mac os either um mac os is the one with the bugs os 10's rock solid <laughs> um okay uh this huawei thing is kind of kind of interesting or at least well, i want to get your opinion on a couple of things so Huawei is a manufacturer of uh, of smartphones from China, and they have s- vaguely played in the unit in the U.S. space in terms of direct to consumer, super super cheap Android phones. 
and they actually have a pretty decent share of the Chinese smartphone um, uh, marketplace. Uh, and they've been trying to break into the into the United States for a while, and apparently they had deals with two of the major uh, cellular carriers in the U.S., and apparently that, for at least one of the carriers, has fallen apart uh, under pressure from or, or fears of uh, espionage from the Chinese government. So I am interested to know what you think of that, or do you think that's do you think that's a, a valid concern? Why do you think that, and how long do you think it'll be before that fear goes away, or what would make it go away? So I, I guess in full disclaimer, I. So Yahweh is a company that I'm familiar with only at a really general level. I mean, I know that they're huge kind of everywhere outside the United States, particularly in China. But I I was not really super plugged into this supposed connection they have with the Chinese government, Um, which I guess, you know, in, in retrospect, it's sort of an, an obvious thing, I suppose. But um. Like in in the sense that any sort of major Chinese company is sort of just by definition going to be tied to their government. So I mean, with that in mind, I I I do I do think that a higher sense of skepticism is probably warranted here. I I don't think that's entirely unreasonable. It's it's not as if we're that the, the you know U.S. government is banning sales of these devices. They're it's just. It seems like there was some pressure behind the scenes to not have a company like AT&T go on with like a full-fledged partnership with them, which, I don't know, I guess strikes me as being probably reasonable caution. Yeah, I think this is really complicated because there's two related stories that I think go along with this. And, and briefly... Uh, as of today, apparently all iCloud uh, customer data for uh, Chinese consumers of Apple products is now no longer ha- handled by Apple and is now housed in like government run or government contracted through like corporations they support. So that's one thing. And then also um, that Kaspersky antivirus software that did run on a bunch of government computers apparently had backdoors put inside of it which is a huge security risk for uh I was going to say malicious hacking but kind of that's most hacking. I don't know like I just think like technology is kind of like the place where so much like uh like government espionage is going to be focused and it, like it is is that really a weird concern to have like I like I don't know. I think there are certain countries that in like the current current political climate who have the aptitude to harm US interests and one of the ways that could happen is through getting devices that run software that maybe was not written in I I don't know. No, I think the connection you're making with the Kaspersky situation is is a good one. Um it I think in situations where it where we don't know either way, but where there is reason to be suspicious, I, I think it it it's it makes a lot of sense to be at the very least cautious. But how do you? But hmm, but the, I guess the thing that I have difficulty with, or that I struggle with, is like 
how do you balance that concern with like the overall whole idealistic free market enterprise type thing where this is a, this is a global economy should vague skepticism potentially uh deprive us consumers of a, of a legitimate product based off of unsubstantiated and just kind of maybe uh concerns about security that may be based off of many other unrelated factors well i mean so so a couple of things you know again they're not yahweh's devices are not outright being banned here so if you're if you're a consumer that really wants one of these things you can technically get one and use it and that's fine but then the, the other thing is i think the other consideration with with this particular situation with with AT&T is sm- smartphones do feel like a special category of products increasingly like so like what i mean by that is like our smartphones in some ways are more valuable and more sensitive than even like our bank accounts or our even like something like your social security number like if you're if your cell phone house both we you know we, bingo exactly <laughs> like your your cell phone is like your you know your entire life i mean it, it, yeah it, that sounds extreme but I, I hope you know what i mean there like it it, no, it, it, it has it, it is it, my entire life yeah it, it has, has everything about you and so i i think if there's any category of product where you might bend your free market instincts against I, like a smartphone seems like the right one to do it like we're not talking about like a washer and dryer we're not talking about an oven you know we're 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 talking about a smartphone which i think is is different so here's the thing so i, I think that's all entirely valid and i think that's a good that's a good point to make but then i i know you say the washing machine thing in jest but like as literally everything that we buy now connects to the damn internet like your washing machine is no like like samsung makes these smart fridges that run out of date uh uh, hackable versions of android that house your shopping list like i mean everything connects to the internet so like where where does the line get drawn on that what software is permitted to do only u.s companies get to do only like like is is there an ally list and eventually like let's say things stop being friendly with to some country and like this is like nope no software like this is now like blacklist I, I, I don't know i think it's a very difficult problem it totally is um and we're both unqualified to discuss it <laughs> exactly yeah all right uh okay but we we are not the right people to talk about this either but just quick to touch upon uh we talked about it earlier a little bit there are two major 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 security of issues that happened a couple of weeks ago um actually i think it happened right before our last show where most uh x86 x64 and arm processors are vulnerable to something called meltdown which um exploits uh, a feature that's in most modern uh cpus that's called speculative execution where a processor will try to anticipate uh code execution based off of other information that it knows and apparently there's an exploit that is um that allows a process to read memory 
from uh, adjacent processes, which basically eliminates all the safeguards that an operating system might have to make sure that stuff can't read other stuff. And for obvious reasons, that's very, very bad. So that's uh, a thing that most operating systems are now trying to patch around. Apple has said basically every device that they make that's not the Apple Watch and the iPod uh, are vulnerable to it, and they're releasing updates for that as quickly as possible. Um, like you said, I'm actually not sure how far back they're going to be patching um, old OSs. They're doing the stuff for WebKit, but I don't know about the old OSs. Um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of a crazy vulnerability, and it's it's one of those things I think will probably bigger be a bigger thing in the future, where it's not simply software vulnerabilities and patches and stuff like that that can be exploited. There are actually some as people do more research, there's going to be flaws in hardware that is way more difficult to solve going forward, which is kind of scary. Yeah, and just the you know I, I don't understand obviously all the technical nuances here, but the thing that I can get my head around or maybe can't get my head around and that's the problem is just the scope of this issue and we're, we're used to vulnerabilities in specific operating systems or you know sometimes even just specific versions of operating systems or specific devices or services but to have something like this be so widespread is just it's super scary yeah um yeah, uh, it was so scary that it spooked one man, uh, Intel CEO, uh, to sell $24 million in stock uh, <laughs> after he learned of the um, uh, uh, insanely widespread hardware vulnerability in the, pro in, in the processors that his company makes um, after he knew about that, but well before the public did. Uh, he then chose to carry only the very bare minimum amount of stock that a CEO is allowed to have. That's pretty good. Yeah, and you know, the the defense that most folks would have in the situation is it, it more often than not executives the only way that they're even allowed to sell stock in the first place is they go on one of these like the, these these plans where stock is just automatically sold for them in in certain tranches over time, which which is the argument that they've tried to make here, but the issue with that is that he put the plan in place in October which was which was after they knew about the vulnerability. Yep, yep. Also, so. very very good use of that word. Or sorry, not that it is the accurate use of the word, but most people don't know what that word means. Which one? Tranche. Yeah, I don't think I used it correctly there, but I think you did. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um it's, it's more about I think tranches are usually used more often when you're talking about investment coming into a company, not mm -hmm. selling equity, but anyway. I'm more familiar with it in relation to podcast debt. <laughs> God, mine's gotten so bad. Ugh. So easy to fix. It's such a fixable problem. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that, that's super sketchy. So way to go, Intel. Um, and also, boo on AMD for trying to ride the wave of our processors are um, immune from this, except they're totally not. So anyway. Well, yeah, I guess that, that wasn't that when... So Intel, when their first statement they put out, it wasn't it something to the effect of, hey, guys, we've known about this. We had a plan in place to announce it. We were waiting to do so until we knew that all of our key partners had a plan in place to put out patches. You've forced our hand, like you, i.e., like the media have like forced our hand to, to say something. 
especially in light of the fact that it seems like you're letting our competitor get by scot-free. <laughs> like, it seemed like that was like the part they were most pissed off about. Well, yeah. Well, so I mean, well, a couple of things. So one, this they weren't caught by surprise at all because the people who found this were uh, white hat hackers who were employed by Google. Like, there's several people that discovered the vulnerability around the same time, but most of this is from Google Project Zero, which does uh, responsible. But I forget the, what the phrase is, but uh, responsible disclosure, where they will contact the party who has the vulnerable software or hardware and give them advanced time to do as much as they can to fix it before they go public with the, the vulnerability. So they had plenty of time to fix this. And I mean, of course, they were working with Apple and the people who have the ability to patch this. So I'm not really because like it, it, it went public as scheduled. Like it wasn't a leak or anything like that. But no, it is totally right where they're like, yeah, on the day that the news happened, I think like AMD stock went up like 9%. They're like, because like, oh, this is the death of Intel. No, actually, all, all of their shit is also completely <laughs> vulnerable too. Um, so that, 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 was, that was good. That was good fun times. All right. Um, yeah, this is running a little bit long. Okay. Uh, we will, uh, we're going to push back um, uh, millennial extremists. I think that's, that's a pretty good topic that deserves more time. Uh, let's let's get a round of apologies in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to get to that. So I'm more guilty of this than you, but I think you also are partially guilty. So I think probably like a year ago, maybe on the same episode we we explored HP's website. Um, I talked about this is back when like Super Mario Run came out, and I was like, you know what, Nintendo like the Wii U is 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 a is a mess, and your last hit was the the Nintendo Wii. And people only bought that because they wanted to play tennis with their friends. Um, that just like you know what, just go all in on mobile gaming. Just license, just run your IP into the ground, and just just forget these costly uh, consoles that just aren't aren't panning out for you. And apparently, I was very wrong, and and I need to admit that and apologize to to Mario, to to Princess Peach, to the the, the guy who throws the shells, uh, all of them. <laughs> because the Nintendo Switch apparently is the fastest selling console uh ever. And it's not a cheap console either. Like this isn't like a $129 Game Boy thing. This Switch is like two hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, two ninety nine. Um Yeah, I mean I I I was I think, you know, I mean you say that you need to apologize more than me, but I, I don't know. I mean I, I think I had exactly the same view a year or two ago, which was Nintendo makes incredible software. Their hardware division is so-so. They they would be much better served just having their software be cross-platform and having their software be available in as many different places as possible, including phones, tablets, other consoles, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, they've... They've proven us wrong here. No, no question about that. And I, what you and I were talking about offline about this, I, I think is a kind of an interesting point to make, which is when you look at their last handful of consoles back to the Nintendo 64, you had the, the 64, which was a, a, just a huge success. You had the GameCube, which was a huge flop. And I, I'm pretty sure if you went back and looked at articles from the early 2000s around the GameCube, you would probably be hearing a lot of the same talk. I mean, it wouldn't have been in the context of like smartphone and tablet games, but it would have been in the context of Nintendo should just make software for Sony and Microsoft, basically. Um, then you had the Wii, which, I mean, we all know was just an incredible success. 
But then you had the Wii U, which again was a failure and, and sort of prompted some of the more recent discussions that we've had. And then now you have the Switch, which again is a success. So it's just this, it's this peak and valley thing with Nintendo. And, you know, when we when we get stuck in the valley, it's sort of easy to forget that they actually do have a history of making really, really great hardware that sells really well. So it's just, it's, you know, they're, they kind of play possum with this stuff a little bit. <laughs> they play what? They play possum. You play hard, hard to is get. This, is this a thing? It's a thing. Yeah. Play possum. Pretend to be a sleeper unconscious when threatened. Well, but the the more generalized use of that phrase is just you're hard to you're sort of hard to figure out because sometimes you you can you kind of zigzag a little bit. All right, they're they're, they're cagey. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a possum. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay, I think you're mostly right with that. The one thing I would say, and this isn't a, this isn't refuting anything that you said, but I think Nintendo is tricky they're they're cagey because they, <laughs> like a like a possum yeah uh the yeah like like a fox like they're they're one of the few people because the reason i think that opinion was valid a year ago and, and probably maybe still is i don't know a little bit because this this might be a one-hit one i don't i don't know the thing with nintendo is they have they can defy industry conventions and consumer behavior in a weird way because they have like this weird ability to be able to like market and sell the concept of fun like where even if overall sales of like of the xbox and playstation that kind of stuff are slowing down because that's becoming a much more mature market and just the replacement cycles aren't there and there aren't enough like hardcore gamers and that kind of stuff to deal with paying four hundred dollars for like these super powerful consoles like Nintendo has this weird thing where they in the same thing that worked with the Wii, which is they can they can market and sell fun, where you don't care about what the specs are of the console. It's just like, do they have great first party titles? Do we think this there's something novel about this console that's going to make it unique and fun? If so, buy it. It's again the same thing that worked with the Wii, and that's that's what happened here. So I mean. I don't think everybody can do that, but it's just a question of how many times can they do that? And I was thinking maybe that the Wii was the last time that would happen. Well, you know, I think what's so interesting about this generation of consoles, of which, you know, the the whole preface of this generation of consoles is, and again, I kind of throw myself in this, is, you know, we're kind of in a post-console world. Everybody just plays games on their phone. They're not, we, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo aren't even going to be making consoles after this round. But then, of course, this has been by far and away like the most successful round of consoles in history, and everybody just loves them. So there's there's that. But then I think within this generation of consoles, what's super interesting is like both paths have worked. With one path being the Nintendo path you just described, where they don't really focus on specs; they focus more on experience um, and on sort of unique hardware and like graphic fidelity and all that stuff is just not really a focus. But then you have Microsoft and Sony going after the high-end spec road like harder than ever before to, to the point where they've actually, for the first time ever, put out iterations of their console mid-cycle that it's their sole purpose is just more horsepower and, and better graphics. And I think the takeaway is that both approaches work. 
Nintendo's doing incredibly well. The PlayStation 4 Pro and the Xbox One X, by all accounts, have been doing really well. So I, I think it, it's it's all to say that in the world of gaming, it, there's such a wide variety of preferences that people have that you know maybe maybe there isn't just like one you know one solution that's just going to make everybody happy maybe maybe there is enough room in the market where like phone games can go exist over in this corner nintendo's crazy hardware can go exist in that corner sony and microsoft can go do their thing you've got pc gamers and that whole scene which has been doing really well you know i maybe there's just again maybe there's enough room kind of for everybody maybe but point of order or clarification you has the xbox one and all the variants of it sold more than the 360 i believe yeah i i believe that yes i I believe that at this point in the cycle the i mean not in total obviously because the 360 was out a lot longer but Hmm. at at this point in the cycle i believe that the xbox one has sold more than the the 360 did yes That, that that was true at least up until recently i guess i haven't checked in like the last year but at least for the first year or two of the console it, it was okay well sorry nintendo yeah and it, and it's it's true i mean it this the switch is a really good console um and it i mean gosh like my um my cousin's son who is i think he's 8 he got one for Christmas, and we, we saw him a couple days after Christmas, and I mean, man, he was just infatuated with this thing. And like, I, I, I don't blame him. Like, I, I Especially for a kid like that age, I could totally see how this is just like this one thing that you can take with you everywhere. You can dock it to the TV. You can just like, you know, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's a, it's a good device. Can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. Can you play Minecraft on it? I think there is a version of Minecraft for the Switch, yeah. Because doesn't um, Nintendo or doesn't Microsoft own Minecraft? Now? Yeah, they they do, but they but does it? But Minecraft runs on everything, right? Yeah, and my Microsoft doesn't really care about that. Uh, huh. Yeah, there is a there is a version of Minecraft for the Switch. That's really cool, of Sony of 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 Microsoft. <laughs> and not that they should like not that it's charity work, but that's because the. The Switch seems like, you know, like this is the console for kids. Or like just like for like the like the kid who just wants to like this this is better than an iPad. Yeah. No, so it's it, neat it that totally they're not is. trying to, to to force people to do something different. Yeah, I mean con- console exclusivity is is becoming kind of less important. Well, but I thought that was the whole like well that's the same, well that goes to the whole thing of Nintendo isn't going to make Mario Kart for the 360. Or God, I'm old for the for the <laughs> X, uh, uh, for the Xbox One. So it's kind of like, why would Nintendo, they do this? Yeah, Nintendo's sort of well because they're more vulnerable. Well, like their first party mm, stuff is way more valuable. Like Halo could be on many other things, but more, I mean, more important than being valuable, it, it's better. I mean, the, the the thing with Microsoft and Sony is they just really don't have any great first party franchises anymore i mean microsoft has halo still but that's that's gotten really long in the tooth is and destiny cross-platform destiny a, destiny is now cross-platform yeah was it exclusive for a while i believe destiny one was console no destiny one w- was on both 
the PlayStation 4 and Xbox, but was not on the PC. And now Destiny 2 is is on everything. Oh, it's even on... Oh, interesting. Yeah, the, there's just, there's not really... There's just the, the, the exclusives now or... Because the economics just really don't make sense. Like, it, it's... You want to you wanna sell your game to as large of an install base as you possibly can, and... I mean, you obviously can't do that if you're just selling to one console. Got it. But but then the only way to incentivize developers to only put out on your platform is by basically <laughs> throwing a bunch of money at them. And there's a point at which that investment just doesn't make sense because the extra the extra units that you're going to sell as a result of something being exclusive to your platform, uh, you know, is that really going to make up for the the cost that you incur just to get that game being exclusive on your platform in the first place? Okay. And then the second half of my apology farewell tour is, and I think this one has a lot less to do with you, right? I think you were on the right side of history with this one the entire time. Uh, AirPods. I know in the past I've said, well, actually, and I still contend that they look stupid and goofy, but they functionally are so fantastic that uh, that allows, it's it's like a like a Prius, like where it it does what it does so well that it can look weird and that's okay. Yeah, I I guess you're probably right. I don't think I was super harsh on AirPods. I think I more just had the view of, well, the current AirPods fall out of my ears constantly, so I'm just not really super interested in these things. But yeah, I mean, I've I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever gone from being totally uninterested in a product to having a product become like like the AirPods might be like my favorite little piece of gadgetry that I own. I mean, like other than I guess like the iPhone, but like in terms like like if I just think about like just general like accessories that I use on a regular basis, like I think the AirPods are like the the, the neatest thing that I own. Um, and yeah, it's it's just pretty pretty remarkable how <laughs> we just went from like not caring, or maybe in your case being outright critical of them, to just you know not being able to say enough good things about them. So this got brought up because you put um an article from the ringer uh in 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 the in the robot or in the thing. And there's one part of it that I actually wanted to wanted to read or that I think is actually really interesting. So the author says the AirPods uh feedback loop offers a few lessons. For starters, the backlash cycle is getting shorter and shorter. So with that one, that actually makes a ton of sense. And I think that actually uh, is completely um, uh, applicable and convertible to the to the Amazon Echo, where there can be an initial backlash or um, uh, you can attack, like people can attack the shortcomings of a product. But eventually that that like just like the whole like outrage factory with everything on Twitter, like whatever controversy controversy happens to be the the rage at the moment like people forget about it and then the stuff that is actually good and has staying power powers through. So yeah, I think like the AirPods and the Echo have a ton of stuff in common. Cuz yeah, people people want to hate on stuff really quickly and and it just that doesn't necessarily ruin um what is fundamentally a good product or if it is fundamentally good that will prove itself out over time. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Interesting. All right, we're running long. So what else we got? Um, 
I think that's mostly it. Uh, Eero is is uh, laying off thirty people to to kind of, which is kind of the quintessential uh, business, uh, not cover up, but like the the excuse of uh, refocusing on their core business, which I think a lot of startups kind of do sometimes when they have some success get um, a little unfocused. But yeah, it's a it's a bummer that that people are losing their jobs. But it looks like Eero is, um, yeah, contracting just a little bit. Yeah, it, it seems like the 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 reading of what they put out seems to indicate that like the, these folks were working on something outside of their core Wi-Fi product, and that that they might be might have been exploring getting into either other markets or at least markets that are kind of tangentially related to to Wi-Fi, and it, it seems like that's now not happening. Yeah, because I have no knowledge of it, but I, I would assume that maybe Eero could have potentially thought, you know, what, like maybe let's try like a Nest style thing, like let's maybe maybe get into other Wi-Fi connected stuff or smart home things because that's right, like have attractive. like have the Eero become like your smart home hub too or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Because the other thing that I think is kind of a related anecdotal information to this is that like how Eero is pushing super hard on the subscription thing. So what I don't think any of the people who um or leaving the company are, are related to that project. Cause that is one of the things where maybe the company does need more money. And that's why they're like, if they can extract $120 extra a year from their customers, like and, and, and the value add is there. Cause apparently like somehow they're including um, a VPN service and like access to one password professional or whatever their subscription thing is. So, I mean, that's it's, it's, it has value to it, but yeah, every, everything has to be a subscription now. So I, I think focusing on the core product and trying to get subscription recurring revenue is, is I guess, the future they see. Yeah. All right. Uh, you got anything else before uh, the main show? No, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> this was this was this was all chef, pre-show. Chef, chef special is that? That's that's the main show. <laughs> I think it is. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Well, I'll I'll go first. Um. Mine, my my pick is a um upgradey um Ooh. award winning inspired pick, um, and that is the Carrot Weather app. Um, hmm. Jason and Mike have have talked about this app quite a bit. I looked into it when they started bringing it up. I was really turned off by the kind of snarkiness and humor that seemed to be core to the app. But they did make it a point during the upgradees that, you know, this is a feature that you can turn off and that it works really well, even when you have that turned off. And Jason even made a comment that he has it turned off. So that's what really prompted me to want to give it a try. And that was coupled with the fact that I just have never had good luck with Weather Underground's app. I mean, I really like the data and Carrot Weather supports Weather Underground, which, which we'll get to in a second. Um, Wait, what? Well, it, it supports the same backend data, but uh, so I thought it ran off Dark Sky. You can choose. So, so yeah. So the we'll, we'll, so yeah. So we'll, well, okay. well, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. It's, it's a little so more. Don't, so a little, don't click. Don't click buy yet. Okay. It's a, it's a little more complicated than that. Okay. Um. So, so I, I just I've never had good luck with the the Weather Underground app, either the iOS app or in particular the watch app the watch app i i just i think it's just atrocious and that the complication is is not reliable 
And then again, I even have a, I've had a bunch of trouble with the iOS app with it just straight up, just not loading data. So I, I gave this carrot weather app a try and outside the, the subscription stuff, which again, we'll, we'll come back to, um, it's really, really good. It's super easy to turn off all the snark. It's literally just one button and it's, it all goes away. It has a really cool little AR mode, which I've only used once, but it's it's really neat, really well done. It's the 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 number one thing that well the number one thing is that the the app both the app and in particular the Apple Watch app and complication are incredibly reliable, at least in the the week that I've been using them. The Apple Watch complication constantly stays up to date. Uh same with the iOS app. And then what's also great is they are incredibly customizable. Like it's it's sort of crazy how much customization you can have both on the iOS app and the watch app. And at first it kind of seems like it's overkill, but when you kind of start getting into it, it actually is really, really nifty to have all these different layouts and different points of data that you can surface up to the top. It's it's really, really well done. Um but then to sort of sort of close out with, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, and the app actually does a really good job of explaining why this is. So there's a couple of different levels of subscriptions that they offer. So it's $4.99 for the app, and then they have a couple tiers of their subscription service. And in order to use uh, Weather Underground's data on Apple Watch, you have to subscribe to their kind of highest tier level of service, which it's only $10 a year. So I mean, it's not, we're not talking a super costly thing. Uh, but the way that they explain this is, and this made a lot of sense to me, is whether Underground's data set is more expensive to use than Dark Skies is. So you're, you're paying for that. And because of the way that they have to keep the Apple Watch app up to date, like the basically the way they do that is they have to basically refresh that complication every 30 minutes, which then pings that Weather Underground data source. Um, and every time that they ping that data source, that's what they get charged for. So you're paying for that, um, which again, kind of made a lot of sense to me. And, you know, if I can have a weather app that stays reliably up to date with the correct weather on my watch, 10 bucks a year seems like a pretty reasonable price to pay. So overall, I've been super, super happy so far. Two follow-up questions. So can, so if you just buy the app for five bucks, can you, because I, I don't, I wouldn't plan on using the the watch app at all. Like I, I just don't have good luck with watch apps. Can, is the weather underground data backend choice included i don't think so i think oh so so it's it's 10 bucks no matter what no i think there's a um i think there's a um let's i have to kind of look this up in real time here um I think there's like a middle tier subscription where you can get weather underground just on the iOS app. Okay, but but if so, at most it costs fifteen dollars. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's I, fine. I can't. I can't. I I I could be totally wrong about this. It might actually just be one level of of subscription, and then you get everything. I mean, I I knew that I wanted the the Apple Watch integration, so I that's kind of all I um that's kind of all I paid attention to. 
Um, but um, in any case, you you can absolutely have you know weather underground data um, come through. Okay. Well, that's good because yeah, I I found dark sky to be kind of really unreliable, especially for rain, at least in the Bay Area, like where it'll like because dark sky is an app that like people have used for a long time, and it'll say like rain stopping in four minutes, and it's still pouring outside. So whereas weather underground's data is actually really 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 good, but yeah, the, their app sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired. So no, so it's good because yeah, like uh, Jason and Mike rave about it, so it's good to know that um, it's as good as they say. Yeah, so here, okay, so I, I there's a real real time follow up here. There's there's a, there's a premium subscription, but then there's an ultra premium subscription. And um I so I think it's 249 a year if you just want weather underground as your forecast source on the phone and not on your watch. And then it's nine ninety nine ninety nine a year if you want it on both the phone and the watch. I think that that's what it is. Uh, I forgot that those were uh, dollars and cents for a minute. <laughs> Got a little freaked out. Um, okay, that's that's really cool. All right, I'll, I'll actually probably end up giving it a shot. So yeah, thank you for that clarification and endorsement. Yeah, um, and I you know I would again I I would just you know five five bucks to download the app. Um, I, I would give you know, maybe start with that, give that a try. Um, it's it's a very it's a it's a very different kind of interface, but I I like it a lot. Yeah, I like I I enjoy anything that's purple, so I like the icon already. Yeah, they, they, it's a very very nice icon. Yeah. Okay, so I don't really have one this week, so I don't think I've ever formally made pocket casts a a chef special. Please, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to do that again because it's it's uh, it's the podcast app of choice for me, and it's it's really good, and it ticks a bunch of boxes for me specifically because I'm kind of picky with how I use podcasts, and specifically it has a um, native-ish uh, Mac app. It works great with CarPlay, and as well as CarPlay works for anything, and um, it's fantastic. So it's it's very good. It solves all the weird stuff that I don't enjoy about Overcast. Um, and it has really attentive developers. So yeah, podcast is, is the absolute best. So that's going to be my, uh, probably chose it before, but reaffirming this pick of the week. Shout special. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still an overcast guy. The, the, the screenshot you sent me of this earlier this week with just a grid of all the podcast album art. So that's totally con- up to Continues you. to give me just anxiety. But the thing is, you don't have to use that because what I normally do is just use playlists. So like I have a, a playlist, smart playlist called just unplayed A-list, which is my favorite frequently updated podcast um, that I want to listen to. And it just shows them in a very, very nice list. Um, and then like there's, it's just very good. And it just works so well with with CarPlay. So you don't have to touch your phone, which I really like. And also I'm a weirdo that use, that listens to uh, to podcasts on my desktop. and it's a good system okay well i'm i i'm gonna probably stick with overcast but Uh, i don't know maybe i think i think it's only three bucks give it a try okay Um, i I sent you a thing with a more reasonable or probably more your uh up your alley yeah that's that's what i'm that's what i'm more used to yeah um but overcast just it's visually its style just doesn't speak to me and it's just it's got a lot of weird niggly stuff where it's just kind of like um 
it's probably just like Marco being Marco where he's very stubborn on certain things where, but I also know for you with the iPhone 10, you are very uh, hung up on, or you are very um, attuned to things that are gray versus black yes. for the OLED screen. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, this is kind of similar to the TiVo discussion that we've kind of been having a little bit here and there lately, which is, I just, I just don't, I don't interact with the interface all that much. And so I just don't, I'm not very critical of it. Like, like the overcast UI, you know, I don't, I just don't, I don't see it very often because most, most of the time I'm using it, it's just audio in the background. Very fair point. Um, so, okay. So some, some Follow up to my follow up. I want. I wanted to get this subscription thing right. This is. This I, already is bu- I already bought it. Okay. Well, I, for, for, so for, the no... ben- for the benefit of the listeners, so it's it's what I corrected myself earlier with is mostly correct. So there's there's a pre- there's a premium subscription, and then there's an ultra premium subscription. The premium subscription is forty nine cents a month or three ninety nine a year, and you get the ability to do all the customization stuff that I was talking about access to the weather underground data source on your uh, phone or tablet. Um, and then I guess you get like additional data layers for the radar map. Um, um, and then you also, for then with that subscription, you also then get the ability to do the Apple watch app and complications, but just with the dark sky data set. And then with the ultra premium subscription, you get all that stuff. Uh, plus, then you get the ability to use Weather Underground as your data source on the Apple Watch, and that's one forty nine a month or nine ninety nine a year. So there you go. Very fair, but this is not off to a great start because I open up the app and it says "Greetings Meatbag." So yes, it. Com- I see at the bottom there's a thing that says "Turn per- Personality Off." So that that's what I'm saying is it it yeah. by default comes on, but. That's the only time you'll ever see it. You'll turn it off there, and then it's gone. It's like walking into a job interview and saying, "Hey, jerk face or something." I don't. I don't. Yeah. The the one. I know the the one thing that I have been tempted to just play around with a little bit is evidently there's a political setting you can turn on. This is what they were talking about on that upgradey episode. There's a political <laughs> setting you can turn on. Then you can also tell it uh, what political leaning you want it to be. So whether you want it to be basically John Stewart or Stephen Colbert which I think is is kind of potentially interesting. So I, again, I've kind of wanted to play around with that, but I haven't yet. Uh, I've, okay, I've, I've put the personality to medium, and uh, I've put it on conservative. So let's see how that goes. Okay, there you go. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to hate this. Yeah, I have, I have mine just on the professional setting. Very good. Because I'm, right. I'm a professional. Mm-hmm. You can pay for your business lunches with Gene Coin. <laughs> That's right. 